0: Stand out from the crowd by gaining the right experience. The next step in your cybersecurity journey starts with Cyberary. Sign up for the Insider Pro or Teams product to learn and develop skills and reach your goals.
1: This week on the Cyberry podcast, we welcome Caleb Woods. Caleb is the CEO of Role Model Software, a company specializing in building internal tools for their customers. Speaking with Mike Gruen and Thomas Horlocker from Cyberry, Caleb discusses the work his company is doing, as well as their Craftsmanship Academy. The Craftsmanship Academy is a way for those new to the engineering space to apply their skills and learn on the job through hands on development training and real world projects. You can learn more about the Craftsmanship Academy by going to their website, www.craftsmanshipacademy.com. They are accepting applications now through the end of February 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to the Cybery podcast. Today, I am speaking with Caleb Woods, the CEO of Role Model Software. Um, and with me, as usual, is uh, our VP of Engineering, Mike Gurin, my friend. How are you doing, Mike? Doing well. Doing well. All right. And Caleb, how are you doing today?
2: Doing great. It's great to be on with you guys.
1: Uh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Role Model Software and, and what you guys do? Yeah,
2: so we're a custom software consultancy that really focuses on craftsmanship and collaboration in creating um, tailored solutions for small and medium-sized businesses and really have a, a focus on building up our team alongside of that. So a collaboration mindset that doesn't just stop at the code, but how do we collaborate as, as business partners and recognizing that most software isn't built in a vacuum it has a domain and context of which we, we're going to build in and problems we're going to solve.
0: Cool. Can you tell me a little bit about like, so how do you guys, what do you mean by that? Like, so Craftsman and and how you guys are, are are sort of going about your your business?
2: Yeah. So uh, one of the major things that we looked at, I'm um, not the original CEO, but uh, our founder, Ken Auer, um, really started the company with this concept of thinking about mentorship and what that means to really build up a business, kind of looking at Um, sort of the studio mindset that you might see in trades like carpentry or uh, furniture making, where you have a master craftsman that really understands the ins and outs of what solving problems for customers looks like. Um, And we based a number of things on the the Dreyfus model of skill acquisition. So this idea of like going from an advanced beginner to a novice to becoming proficient and competent and ultimately becoming an expert, you kind of go across these uh, levels of needing recipes to understand how things are done to having that expert level intuition about how things are done. And recognizing that that's done by having a mindset where you're working alongside each other, which at the time, late 90s, when uh, we were getting started, that was kind of a rare thing when you talk about software development. It was more of, let's let's throw it over the wall. These are the guys in the basement writing code that are going to put together what we have according to a spec. Um, but really recognizing that that's not the way the good software is made because it really depends on a feedback loop. And yeah, so think, you need that expertise to jump into that.
1: Yeah,
0: no, I think you know, you said sort of late 90s, that's right around when I started in my career, 96. Um, and I definitely lived through or saw that that very shift between, you know, programmer versus engineer. And that's how I sort of Define the two right. A programmer is given a specification. Here's what we need you to code um, and get it done. It still has its place. There's times when that's appropriate. Um, when like really coding to a spec is super important, like life death situations, right? Like you know that type of stuff. And then you have, um, but at the time the web was new. Things were moving so quickly. You couldn't have a specification. You really needed it, and you know you needed someone who understood. the the user can put themselves in the user's perspective and solve the user's problem without that spec. And and so now you're talking about more software engineering, it's more craftsmanship, as you said, and how we sort of evolved and I was in professional services, uh, you know, doing those types of things, e-commerce. And so, yeah, I definitely can relate to that difference of, yeah, here's, you know, we have a project manager who's making sure the project is moving along, making sure the communications are happening. But in the end, it's really... The the software engineer getting a problem, understanding the problem, solving the problem, building,
2: and then le- and then leading a team within the midst of that. Like that, right. that's kind of a, a differentiator for us as we look at what is what does it mean to be a craftsman. It's the uh, experience. You know, it's the ten thousand hours. If you want to throw out that number, it's the experience in leadership, multiple projects, seeing things in production. Like mm-hmm. how many things do you learn from actually getting that call at 2am or you know whatever it is from the customer of here's what's gone wrong Um, and those are the things that kind of feed back into that learning and then able to lead a team to collaborate as you go through those right there's no there's no bigger driver than
0: avoiding the 2am phone call like how do I make sure that (laughs) I don't get that call ever again (laughs) exactly yeah it's a great motivator for sure
1: it is and so what type of software do you guys specialize at? at role model I know you kind of build internal tools and stuff for other people. What is, I mean, what do you guys actually specialize in or what do you mainly focus on?
2: So a lot of the things that we build are web and mobile applications. So we we do focus a lot of our solutions on B2B uh, applications uh, whether that's something internal that a customer is using to simplify a process or scale a process. Maybe they're trying to take some expertise they have from certain technical users and be able to embed that into a system to allow them to grow or allow oftentimes those people that have the technical expertise to focus on the R&D and the next side of things while they can actually scale the business around the processes that they're building. And we've done a few things, you know, uh, obviously over 23 plus years in business is where you know, it's been business, consumer, education, kind of all, all the gamut of industries, um, but web and mobile, um, kind of in the B2B space.
0: When you're bringing people on and you're sort of training them, like what are you sort of like, where are they starting and how are you going about doing that and getting them the skills they need? Because there's definitely like, just my own experience real quick, You know, bringing someone out of a college program, for example, a comp sci program, great. Mm-hmm. They, you know, comp sci, great program, doesn't matter where they went they're not a software engineer. There's so much that they don't know. Uh, And I'm just curious, you know, what your experience with that is and and how you sort of go from there.
2: Yeah, so like a big part of sort of the studio and craftsman mindset is what does it look like to mentor and bring up the next generation of of developers and members of the team. And so that started for us with um, intentional apprenticeship pretty early on you know, let's bring in people, let's, uh, you know, there's a level of skill that you need to have to just follow what's going on, you know, whether that's a comp sci background, or um, in more recent years, it, having gone through a boot camp or or something to that effect, where you've, you've done some programming, you can follow along with what's
0: going on. As or even, and, and I don't want to, uh, you know, there's plenty of people who do a lot on their own, who've mm-hmm. learned on their own, they don't necessarily have gone through boot camp, they haven't gone through college program. Um, I don't think that those things are required to be a good software engineer. I think there's plenty of people, especially over the last you know few years, the, the space has gotten to the point where you can really do a lot of self-taught, self-learning, just do pet projects and you sort of have a base skill level that you can, you know, so that you can follow along, as you said, even if you don't necessarily have all the skills of a software engineer. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, that was even my, that's my story. Um, right. You know, I got into software development kind of from being involved in a company where I was kind of in IT kind of on the QA side of an outsourced project, um, really discovered I had an aptitude to be able to jump in and actually start doing some of the programming and then eventually kind of took over and, and built a, a mentorship program there. Um, and that's actually kind of, that was the connection that led me to, to Role Model. Um, that company ended up having a, a financial hardship that we you know, I ended up leaving and looking for, for another opportunity, which was how I got connected with Role Model. Um, and that was about eight years ago. And it as it was around the time that we were really kind of formalizing what bringing on these more junior developers and and what's a pipeline of making that happen. And so we we formalized this concept that we call the Craftsmanship Academy. And it's had some different variations of what that's looked like. But it, it really is trying to take somebody from that base level background, doing an immersion style training of, all right, we're gonna build real things, solve some real problems, but in a progressive way, you know, we're going to uh, really start with you know test driven de- development as a foundation of everything we do. It's so important. Thinking of, from an object oriented perspective, how do we think about encapsulation? How how we break down a system? Uh, how you use the tools of the trade? How do you use your editor? How do you use the terminal? How do you use right. Git? Uh, what a pull requests and code reviews look like? Um, kind of incorporating those into all right. Here's a foundation. We're going to progressively build on that, um, looking at the, kind of the same problem but attacking it different ways, and and progressively adding in more technology. Because the the thing about the web, because it's evolved so much at this point, there's much that a lot of us that have been grown up with it or grown up around it from a career standpoint look at it and it's like, oh yeah, this is all standard stuff that you expect. Right. You dump somebody new in there and it's like, wait, you mean to? Put text on a page. I've got like eight different technologies I got to understand in order to, to get going. And so, how do you progressively make that simpler? Of okay, you need to understand the basics of we're sending data over a socket. And okay, but that's what that look like. But we don't really do it this way most of the time because we have these abstractions that are in place. But if you don't understand the low level piece of what's going on, you don't you don't feel the um, benefit, the, the abstraction, or the frameworks are giving you.
0: You know that makes sense. And I think it's one of those things you know we recently, as I said, we recently hired some you know people straight at college. And I think it had been so long since we'd onboarded that level of of junior engineer that we were like, oh, you don't know how to use this, you know this or that, whatever it was, or this is what a this is what a good pull request looks like. And this is why you know, and as somebody who's doing a pull request review, this is our expectation of you uh mm-hmm. when you're reviewing it, it's not just look it over and be like, oh yeah, that looks like it works. Like, no, pull it down, test it, like comment on things. That's how you're gonna learn. Like, why did you do this? It's 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 a two-way thing. And um, mm. um so I think it's you know it's one of those barriers as a as a from our perspective, from my perspective, running an engineering team, it's one of the things that prevents me from wanting to hire more junior people is the amount of time it takes to sort of ramp them up. Uh the time it takes away from my more senior folks. And if I'm not exercising that muscle frequently enough. It's just that much harder, um, and I'm curious. You know, and it's probably there's maybe if I was in a professional services or space where, in a lot of ways, my product is my engineers and my engineering talent, um, we'd be more motivated to to take those risks and take on that that sort of pipeline. Um, I'm just curious. Like, is is that what sort of motivates you? Is is the fact that you know that if you can get these people and train them in your way of doing things that you're, you're really creating more business capacity for yourselves?
2: Yeah, it's really, it's the long-term play. I mean, we look at getting someone to that level of craftsman. Um, if they're were coming, if they coming into the academy, and we've seen this play out now that we've kind of been running cohorts about every year um, through that program, um, that it's, you know, five to 10 years from the point that they walk in the door to they're at that level. And- mm-hmm. That sounds like a long time. you know that is not the the quick way to to build the senior talent on the team. But the foundation that they have is aligned with the way we work. It's aligned with the values that we have of software development, and they're they're growing in the way to collaborate. So they're contributing all along that way. It's not like, okay, uh, here you jump in and we're not really getting value out of the contribution that person can make until you know three or four years in. I'm curious. When do you that. feel like?
0: When do you feel like you're getting that sort of contribution from people? I have a number in my head of where I think that would be, and I think people would be surprised. I'm curious where you're sort of seeing it. So
2: we kind of look at it as there's the initial immersion of of two months, and then mm-hmm. we 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 put them back into kind of an an internship apprenticeship. Okay, you've been doing things inside of this bubble. Let's go sit alongside uh, our team that's that's working on projects get some experience that way, and then come back to kind of a second level of immersion where we incorporate some other technologies. So at that point, we're about four months into the process. Um, and that's where we, we officially give them their apprentice um, stripe, if you will. Um, and they're, they're ready to start to contribute on projects. We consider it's like half the time they'll be contributing uh, to some level. You know, in a lot of projects we look at you know, you establish the pattern of how you're going to do something, and then, all right, there is something that somebody more junior can take the next step of. But we're focusing on continuing mentorship, so each um, apprentice has a mentor that they're working with, and we're evaluating their progress uh, through that each three month kind of period of a a mini kind of performance review, or we call it craftsmanship levels that, w- that we're reviewing with them of of how, where are the things that they need to grow in. Um, from whether it's the the technical skills, problem solving, breaking down um, cards, you know, all those kind of pieces that go into software delivery.
0: Yeah, and I then, think 90 days sounds about right. I mean, I think, sorry to sort of jump in there, but that's 90 days, 120 days seems like about where I'd expect to start getting sort of a return on the investment. They're they're still learning. I'm still investing them, obviously. But that's when you can start really putting them things. So that's... that's Interesting. I, I just find it interesting. It sort of aligns with my own like thoughts on you know, just going back in my own career and pulling from, from previous experience. So it's, it's cool to see that that's still the case.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting. Also, one of the things we look at, we call it a cohort when we bring people through the academy. And we found that um, that's a really powerful aspect of it. That if you are just bringing one person through that, they're learning everything they're learning by themselves. Like they don't mm-hmm. have another peer that's going through that. And it is less effort for us to bring two people through that or potentially three or four than it is to do one because they've got that group learning. It's, oh, I figured this out. I can help explain it to you. And that's that's the hard part. The the further away you get from those levels, um, it's harder to relate to the learning that happens at the next step. And that's really why we try to look at the mix of our team. Um, do we have somebody? You can't be just above them, but maybe just like one or two levels above them of where they're at, so that you can relate to. I remember when I was learning that, you know, six months ago or two years ago, versus I remember when I was learning that fifteen
0: years ago. Exactly. Right. I mean, and, right, and not only that. I mean, technology changes so much. There's so much that happens, and I, I totally agree that the the notion of bringing two people in or three people on is what is the same effort as bringing in one person. And I remember my very first job. We were all new. Like there was. Our manager he he had been coding for a short period of time and um, and they just hired me, another guy, and another guy, and we'd never worked as software engineers. this like one of us had written some programs in the past, but I was still in college, the other guy was still in college. and yeah, we were sort of thrown into it, and it's amazing how much we learned and figured out from each other and and whatnot and and I agree, I think um, whenever I try and bring in if I'm going to take on that like, okay, we're going to bring in some junior people, I think it is great to do a team or like, if I'm doing um, summer internships, I never want a summer internship of, of a singleton. It's You're not going to get any value out of it. You need to work as part of a team, even if that's just a two person pair on a real project doing real work. That's how you get experience and yeah, tag them up with somebody who's maybe like a year maybe two years ahead of them. Who, as you said, has that like still has that empathy. I think it's empathy for yeah. what that person's going. through. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and I mean, um, the craftsman, I mean, Jake or Caleb, when you and me were were speaking before the Craftsmanship Academy is what really piqued my interest and in kind of wanting to to speak with you. Cause I mean, I myself um was hired into a position at the place me and Mike used to work. I was just kind of our IT person to start with. That's the skill set that I had. Um, had mm-hmm. zero dev background or anything. I eventually got moved onto to our DevOps team as the most junior DevOps engineer there has probably ever existed. <laughs> um, I didn't know how to use Git. I didn't know how to do anything, but I had people who were training me, you know, helping me out and explaining how things worked. And then I mean that's how I got used to it, and I became pretty good at that role, but it was all on the job training, and you know that stuff mm-hmm. that it's hard to kind of teach yourself those things if you don't have, you know real world scenarios and stuff like that learning how to do a pull request learning you know what comments you should leave all of that stuff so i mean when you're bringing people through the craftsmanship academy like what kind of mentoring or training are you guys going through like what does that you know start to finish program look like for you guys
2: yeah so like i said at the beginning it's more of an immersion so it's mm-hmm. like here's the here's the problem set that we're going to we're going to look at and we're going to start with kind of the simplest way we can think about the technology, like writing a CLI (laughs) with driving it with tests, you know, no communication over the network, introducing the network, introducing HTML and CSS, introducing some of the frameworks we commonly use. But then a big part of it is all the learning that happens after the immersion. Um, Because that's where all the contextual learning comes from. Of, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to solve this problem. And I'm stuck. Now I'm really, you know, after I bang my head against the wall for, and it doesn't have to be very long. Like, that's one of the things I try to tell people early on is, don't get stuck for hours. We want to have people um, working co-located when they're at this junior level, because that's when the senior person needs to be able to look over and, and say, I haven't checked in with you at all in an hour. And you really look like you're stuck, like the expression or, on your face and all that.
0: Or the junior person has that ability to look around the room and be like, "Okay, the senior, that person has their headphones on. Maybe I shouldn't bother them." But the person sitting next to them is just shooting the shit with their their buddy. I can go talk to them, and <laughs> I think there's a that, that co-location is very important to be able to just have that visual. Like, I'm not interrupting you. Can you help me with this thing? Um, as opposed to, I think when you're totally remote. It's so easy to just sit there and struggle and struggle and not think there's anyone there who can help you get to that next step quickly.
2: And anytime there's that barrier, yeah, and and it, and it doesn't have to be a big barrier to make you think. You know, sending a Slack message or or reaching out in in some way, it seems like sort of low barrier. But when you're at that level, like you're just, I'm trying to prove that I can do this on my own too, right? Right, is the other side of it. So, <laughs> and and that's where the the explanations kind of come in, you know. And that's the level of teaching that see is such a valuable part of what the rest of our team does. Because now you're not only having to understand what you're learning, but you have to teach somebody else. And there's that teaching that's going on all the time because we have people of those various levels um, solving similar problems together.
0: And I think that teaching is in itself its own version of learning. I think I've learned more when trying to teach something to someone and from the questions they ask, it just sort of causes you to think about things that maybe you haven't thought about. So yeah. They ask really like, deep questions. usually like, why? Right. Why is it that way? No. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: Cause yeah. that's the way we all do it. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, or you, you, you see the shortcuts that you usually take because you've been doing it for a while, but you're like, I, ah, you should do it this way <laughs> instead. So, you don't. Know, you know, you're not duplicating my mistakes or something like that. <laughs>
2: And that's the hard part. Is I mean, I look at a lot of things from an experiment, you know, try small things, learn from those. Um, but you've got to have some of that feedback cycle of, you know, what things worked and didn't. And, you know, like we talked about kind of production support, having things go wrong and, you know, the iterations of you going through projects is how you get a lot of that, that learning. You have to have some of that pain fail mm-hmm. to some extent to see that. So you don't want to completely isolate that. But want to do it with a safety net of, okay, yeah, when that doesn't work, you've got somebody that's next to you that can
0: they can fail you out or help buy. you out. Yeah, no, I think failing is you know you learn more from your failures than from your successes. and and I think you know the best piece of code I ever wrote was whatever the last piece of code I ever wrote was. Uh, and then it's production, right? <laughs> you know, whatever uh, you learn so much. And I'm curious, so you were talking a little bit about this sort of a uh, process and Um, Do you guys have any sort of notion of like tracks or anything like that? Because I think there's a very different skill set for, say, a back-end engineer than, say, maybe a front-end engineer or designer or those sorts of things. Do you guys, how do you handle that?
2: Yeah, so we we do that a little bit and we're kind of, we're a fairly full stack um, shop. Um, We do have some more depth to a particular JavaScript framework uh, that we build on for things in the, the 3D visualization and construction spaces. Um. So we kind of have a, a track of here's the where the teams are and the kinds of projects you're going to be working on. But often from a, a skill set standpoint, it's a lot of the similar kind of things that we want to do. Because uh, the goal is to end up with, you know, overlapping skill sets, you know, whatever track that you're on, you know, if it's more back end focused as a developer, or maybe more DevOps focused, there's still an overlap with development, or if it's, more design-focused, what's the overlap with front-end development? Um, and that that does evolve a bit uh, based on the individual. You know, What are their skill set? And we usually try to pair that up with who their mentor is. So I, I feel like it's really important to have a rotation of mentors as you're, we're going through that process so you get a chance to see uh, where others are strong or, or have still areas of growth that you might be able to help them in because it's kind of a two-way street in a lot of ways. Um, but you, that's, that's often how we help to
0: steer where people are going in the, how do you, uh, that mentoring pairing, I think is so important. And uh, if you don't mind me pulling on that a little bit, cause I think sure. like how I, how did I, like I've been mentored and I mentor right mm-hmm. uh, throughout my career and it's all been very organic. It's people who I saw who were maybe ahead of me or in some role or whatever, and who also had, um, the capacity. And by that, I mean like the the actual capability to mentor, right? Not everybody is well suited for it. Um and but it was me self-selecting the people that I want to model myself after and and me being selected by others. And I'm curious in your organization, you it sounds like you take um, you know, you're definitely pairing people up, but then at some point do the individuals get to sort of choose who their mentor is or will it happen naturally or is it just is it a constant rotation and you're finding great things from that. I'm just curious how that all works. Yeah, there, there's a bit of a matching up, like who
2: is good fit um, for where this person is at. So often we're trying to look at um, what's the next, you know, one to three things that this person is focusing on to get to the next level. Who could we be uh, pairing them up with uh, to work on that? And we do make that a pretty intentional thing. You know, they're mm-hmm. meeting uh, regularly to like take a step back from the projects they're working on. But we also try to line things up that they're working on similar projects together. Like a lot of Um, pairing and growth, you know, some of that can happen in that one hour, one-on-one happening once a week. But a lot of that happens in the other 39 hours of working on whatever projects you're working on and, you know, getting a chance to ask those questions. Yeah, I would say
0: almost all of mine has been more in those like where we're actually pairing on solving some problem, um, you know, whatever it was, uh, building something that didn't exist, and and just even sitting there watching and being the the second pair of eyes, it's like, oh, I think you missed a, a you know a thing there. Back when your IDE didn't tell you, you know, you made us a syntax error, <laughs> right? And again, that gets back to like, why don't you have somebody who's got like twenty years of experience onboarding somebody? Because I'd start you off with VI, right? That's <laughs> nobody needs that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unless you're a DevOps, and then it's an important skill I have.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, that's the first book somebody gave me was a VI book. And I was like, I don't understand this. I don't know what you want me to do with this book.
0: <laughs> yeah, adorable
1: things.
2: I I I still love to try to expose people to because there, there is so much to it. Like it's a different mental model way of thinking. And so much of kind of what we do with software development is developing new mental models to think about problems. Right. And and so I, I agree for the most part, you know, do you don't throw somebody VI when they're trying to figure out
1: how do I put code into the editor. <laughs> how do I use terminal? But how do I how do I save? <laughs> are you remembering me shouting from my desk, Mike? Is that this is where this is coming from? No, it's um, just that's the most common thing. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> um yeah, but I mean I, I really like that, you know, that role model is. Kind of taking the time to, like you said, kind of create the next generation of software developers. Because now, I mean, you know, Caleb, you and me talked before, and, and Mike, you just had a podcast recently about this. Is everyone's on the lookout for that unicorn or that person who's going to fit that one specific role that they have, instead of you know, you know, bringing up the next people and training them to fit this role. You're looking for somebody who already has X, Y, and Z, where you might have somebody who just doesn't have the experience yet, but could, is capable of doing that job.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of that, you know, comes organically. What's the opportunities that come up? Um, mm-hmm. Every every person on the team, because we were such a focus on learning, they're going to gravitate to new things that that come out, you know, from the technology landscape or from different projects. And so by having a shared foundation as a team, uh, it allows us to even be more flexible in the way we pivot and go after some of those things because, okay, you have the the understanding of what we're trying to accomplish when we're selecting new tools or new frameworks or, or whatever it is we're we're looking at. Mm-hmm. You can now take that when we're evaluating this new technology and bring you know your own curiosity and expertise that is going to grow from that, but also be able to integrate it back to the team because it we we don't have a high turnover. As kind of part of that, um, especially as we've gotten to more senior folks, our average tenure of our craftsmen is uh, nine plus years. Um, that doesn't mean you know the gap in the middle from the most <laughs> junior folks to to getting to that point uh, doesn't have some turnover there, but it kind of builds that long term longevity because we're a team that understands how we work together um, and can feed off that. Is there sort
0: of a of is there sort of like a plateau like a breaking point like? If you can make it this far, then you're probably going to make it the rest of the way. Because I, I just sort of think of all of the software engineers I've worked with over the years who maybe had some interest in programming, they sort of get into it or or whatever it is. But then they just find that like the idea of fighting a computer and losing every day is just a little daunting and not really the career for them. I'm curious, like at what point do people sort of, are you seeing that people sort of make that recognition of like, maybe this isn't really for me. And, and that's great. Like that's, you tried it, like there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, you know, it's... Um, I'm looking at Tommy. Oh. <laughs> hey.
1: That's why I run the podcast. Now.
0: <laughs> and he does a great job.
1: <laughs> it's way easier. I'll tell you that it is way easier.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just sort of curious. Do you see like, is there like a natural point where, where like people make it this far, they're just going to keep on going or, or is it mm-hmm. the full, the full range?
2: Um, it, I'd say that it really kind of does vary, but if they, the first two weeks of the immersion phase is usually the most telling, actually. Um, so we, we try to do a, a good job of kind of an interactive assessment because so much of what the skill set is is how you think. Mm-hmm. You know, so we we try to do that in in how we assess people coming into the program. But then when they get in into it, and then we do some prep work, you know, we do some other things to filter folks out. But that first two weeks um, is probably one of the biggest cases of
0: which is a great great setup for software modern software engineering fail fast, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is, that is a good lesson. Like, that's a great Like great first lesson I think is fail fast, right? Like Mm -hmm. how do you figure out whether or not this is the right thing for you? Well, we better not spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. figuring that out. (laughs) Yeah. Right.
2: And then, then from there, I mean, there, there is some more. So we go through a few different apprentice and residency stages before we give someone their, their dev one, um, sort of level. And once they get to that level, it's usually usually the progression from there is pretty smooth. But there's, there's different people that realize, you know, I do want to do more of uh, just staying at this focus or I'm, I'm not as interested in mentorship or some of these other things. And that's where it becomes, okay, maybe the culture fit isn't there in the same mm-hmm. way. You might still have a software bent or there's been other folks that have kind of come through that level and recognized being involved with software projects is a good fit but they're not a developer. Like they've got right. skill set mm-hmm. that comes in as more of a, a a PM or on some of the business side or sales engineering, you know, some of those different things that are are still valuable aspects of the team. And we now share a foundation.
0: Um, so, if, um, you know, before we get too far from it, you mentioned earlier, uh, you take on it's sort of an annual program uh, for the cohort. Mm-hmm. When do you guys usually are doing that? Like when when does that happen?
2: Yeah. So we do that each summer. So we're, we're actually kind of in the throes of that right now of uh, assessing applicants for this summer's cohort. Um, so we're, we're taking um, interesting applicants can go to craftsmanshipacademy.com. Um, we got a lot of information there of kind of like how we run the program philosophy behind it, um, and then inviting people to apply and, um, and check it out. And so then that, that kicks off uh, the process uh, with some pre-work in, in the May timeframe. And then we get started with the immersion phase uh, in June.
1: Cool. Now, is that a, like a remote available or is it on-site, I'm guessing?
2: Yeah, so on-site, yeah. So the first uh, eight weeks of immersion kind of to a lot of the things that we talk about, you know, mm-hmm. on-site. And then yeah. from there, uh, on-site in one of our our offices. So whether it's where we are here in North Carolina, is kind of our headquarters um, or one of the, the other places where we have a couple of people, um, sort of Rochester, Knoxville, um, Wisconsin, or there's a couple different other areas that we have, folks. Okay.
0: I can't I, I feel like I can't not ask like how the pandemic has sort of affected that and, and having people come in, like because I know like we struggle with it a little bit. We we were fortunate that we moved from a smaller office to we're now in a much larger space. So mm-hmm. being at 50% or 25% capacity is not a problem and have all we can still have everybody in the company here and still not be worried. But I'm curious, like how COVID has sort of impacted you guys and and what steps you guys are taking?
2: Yeah, for us, you know, we've been a fairly remote-first type organization. About five or six years ago, um, we started kind of establishing these craftsman-centered locations, which is we had people we really wanted to work with. We value the in-person collaboration, but we recognize we couldn't have everybody be in the Raleigh area of North Carolina and continue. There's different life things happening to yeah. say, hey, we want to keep these relationships with these people; they're valuable members of the team, um, but we don't want to just give up in-person collaboration either. Um, so we we're, what we've tried to do over the years is build around places where we have craftsmen. So it's not just you're just one person, but there's a couple, two, four, you know, kind of up to that level that are working in you know shared co-working space, or um, if somebody has a, a setup uh, for that within. Um, uh, part of their property or something like that to to do that. Um, and so that's kind of how we've grown some of the remote team, but we've also operated from the fact that you know sometimes we're working on site with clients or you know just various things are are going on. so we operate very much in the fact that we're not in the same building. we just right. really value the opportunity where we can. so in in March when everyone was on stay at home orders, you know we became the first time we were fully virtual, you know we did our What we normally do for in-person collaboration, uh, professional development days, we did those fully remote in April, Um, and then as as things have uh, opened back up, uh, kind of across the country, we still had a mix. You know, not trying to force anybody to have to come in the office if they're not comfortable with that, um, because we still have a lot of our collaboration that can't happen remotely, and then um, in our space that we do have, um, just setting that up that that people can um, be working together. What makes most sense?
0: Yeah, I think the fact that it's a smaller group, it's not the full company. It's not like sixty people showing up. It's it's right. four or five people who are the same four or five, and has a very it's very very different. It's uh especially from a footprint from a from a from, a, uh, from you
2: know, uh, you kind of area. create your own little bubbles, right? Yeah, you exactly. Know, these are the right. people that you interact with every day. Um, right. so you know, take the same precautions that anybody would as as right. far as exposures and things like that, but you're working with the same people on a regular basis, so.
0: Um, I think the only thing, I, you know, you mentioned you're taking applications now. Are there any deadlines people should be aware of?
2: Yeah, usually we try to kind of get final applications in so that we can start um, doing um, notifications of acceptance um, by the end of February. So getting applications in at that point so we can kind of do the evaluation process. So, um, yeah, if folks are interested, that would be the the time frame. Jump on it now. Uh, you know, <laughs> We're, we're probably just a couple of weeks uh, away from that at this point, but mm-hmm. um, that, that's the thats the biggest thing there.
1: Okay, cool. so they can find out more information at craftsmanshipacademy.com? Yes. So we said, right. all right. And yeah, so applications now uh, through the end of February. So make sure to get on that if uh, you're interested in joining the Craftsmanship Academy. Um, well, uh, thanks, Caleb, for stopping by. Um, uh, yeah, Mike, as always, yeah. thanks.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you, Caleb. It was a, a great conversation. I really enjoyed speaking with you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks, everybody. Cybrary, the
2: premier cybersecurity skill development platform, is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cybrary.it.